but yeah, man, he's been enjoying it so far. Uh, and he's actually getting... Well, he's good for one thing, which is crazy. Yeah. Not like, surprising, but that is awesome. It's one of the things that had worried me that maybe he wouldn't understand strategy. Yeah. You know, and you can get into the difference between tactics and strategy. Like, I, I often wonder how long, how good his long game is, but Magic is essentially a long game, the the board game at least. Like, like you have to plan ahead of what you're going to do, otherwise, there's not a whole lot of tactics there. Mm-hmm. Um, Colt is definitely a long game. Like, there's tactical decisions to be made, but if you don't have a strategy, you're going to get fucked. Like, there's no way you can just, like, oh, this turn I'm going to try and do this and win a game of Colt. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That game is very cutthroat, especially with you folks who know what you're doing. I mean, <laughs> you can it make is, one wrong turn and, and, and be done. It is so much fun um, being having played a game that much and having been that quick. Well, arguably that quick. Like, the game actually can last a long time. The game itself moves fast. Yeah. Right, but the games themselves last a long time. <laughs> Uh, dude, but the other, other 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 day, I won a game of Colt in like four turns. What? Sorry, what was your strategy in that? It was a little bit more than four turns, but I was Cthulhu, uh-huh. and on turn two, turn two or three, I was able to use his power to get three altars on the board. That seems unfair. What's his power? It's like you sacrifice... All of your followers, mm-hmm. no, you sacrifice a couple of followers and all of your active priests mm-hmm. and put an altar on the board. Okay. But he's one of the only people that allow you to put an altar in one of those first two rows. Mm-hmm. So at the end of that, I had um, an altar on the get six coins and the get two followers. Very cool. So I was able to just rebuild that machine over and over again and then... I would just get one priest, do his power again, and mm-hmm. like it, it, that was it. It was it. It was over. Like they they played two more turns and then gave up because they're like, "You're gonna win next turn, and there's literally nothing we can do to stop you." <laughs> That's so nice, dude. It was so do you, cool. Do you, I was that, very proud. do you think that strategy could work again? Against people who don't see it coming, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think John would probably be looking for it at this point. Yeah. Uh, RC was pretty upset, so I, I think he'd be looking for it as well. But it gets me excited, man. Like like Christmas time, I would love to see, or just in general, we gotta just battle him and Ryan in a match. Oh, dude, I would be so down for that. That'll be our first uh, Twitch live stream. Yeah, I would tune into that if I weren't playing. <laughs> right? Uh, and it's funny, I don't know how Ryan is, but... RC does this thing where he doesn't really swear, but he kind of goes like, oh, f- <laughs> uh, I don't know. Ryan just gets frustrated. <laughs> okay. I, I'm assuming he's pretty strict at home for yeah. language. And like, that's, that's the thing. Like, like me and Alicia really aren't that strict about language. I think it's just one of the things maybe we instilled in him from an early age. Like, just don't do this at home right. or like in front of old people. Makes sense. And, like, he, sometimes we're playing a video game and I'll hear him go, like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, like, it, I've said this on the podcast before. I ask him, like, do you swear a lot at school? Yeah. I'm not trying to catch you. I, I just want to know. 
What did he say? Dad, no, like my other friends do, but I don't. Of course, so he does. Yeah, of course. Because <laughs> he so doesn't funny. believe that I'm not trying to catch him. Right. This is the bus. You're listening to Drop the Dice. What's up, everybody? This is Ben from www.dropthedice.com, and we are back after a short break. And I have with me my trusty cohort, my flyover correspondent, and I think your new promotion is going to be the head of business affairs. Oh, really? So I'm not sure what title, what other title that would be. Not CEO, maybe like, I don't know, maybe CFO. Why? But Dolby has a lot of aspirations, and. At some point, we'll need someone who knows how to navigate those waters, and that's not me. Mm, got it. This is like a real and, title, not like a joke title. Yes. Oh, dang. Arguably, Dolby's less, title on the website fun, is... but I guess I'll take it. <laughs> arguably, Dolby's title on the website is also real, but not real yet. Okay. Like, he, his goal is to make that title real this year. Okay. Um, and with that, I believe, comes your title. Still unpaid. Oh, naturally. I, I would expect nothing less. But your title. But occasionally I get like a tiki book, so that's pretty nice. Yeah, you got a tiki book and you got the Devilier. That's what this friendship has awarded you. <laughs> At our old prime, which is funny because we have more listeners now, we received four prototypes. Mm-hmm. But we were actively I- seeking them, and and to be honest, like I know that it's glamorous to interview people and to and to get prototypes and to do all of that. It's kind of a lot of work. Sure. I wouldn't mind doing the interviews every now and then because that was a lot of fun. Yeah, the interviews the interviews are more fun. Like the the work to pay off is is higher. But for example, I want listeners at home to to think about the fact that I printed out and then cut out prototype little little pieces of paper so that I could play anachrony. I was gonna say, was it anachrony? <laughs> because my board I, had, I, I think was six pieces of paper, of paper that I had to cut and glue together perfectly. Oh, man. I think we talked about this. At one point, when I saw different cutouts, I had had enough board games that I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to use these crystals from this game. Mm-hmm. And, oh, oh, money, money. I have literally a box of coins on my table at all times. Nice. And I started thinking, like, okay, like, what do I have that can just substitute for this? Mm. You know, and there's certain, like, certain tiles that have iconography on them. There's obviously no way. Mm-hmm. But, like... A crystal, uh, an abstract object, uh, right. any resource. I have every resource possible in that wall. Right, right. Because, man, I was there cutting with you. <laughs> <laughs> that, I still have that prototype just because I, I put so much time into it. I didn't want to throw it away. That's actually kind of nice. That's a good keepsake. I definitely threw mine away. <laughs> I have that. I mean, we have, oh, even going back to, we have the prototype for... Which is going to tie into what we're going to talk about later. Seth Jaffe's Eminent Domain, the mini card game. You held on to that too. I did not. Uh, I did that by accident. Uh-huh. It was just It's just in the bottom of one of the boxes of games that I have chilling around. Nice. That's a good uh, find then. Yeah, that was super cool. 
that was at the height of like that uh that love letter like mini game craze. Mm-hmm. Um, I have which I actually really like. I have the the Mars stuff that 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 guy got for us. God, I forgot his name. You kept buying some of his. Yeah, games. Robin David. Yeah, Robin David, the the kind of Sherlock Holmes at Mars. Yeah, I have those like laminated and bound. I had so much fun with that. that yeah, was, that was, that really, was cool. really good. That that's another. I wish he would responded for an interview. <laughs> I think he just wants to be like a dad who designs games on the side. Oh yeah, yeah. I follow him on Twitter still. Yeah. Um. He doesn't want to deal with our shenanigans. No, no, no. We just we probably drink too much. Uh, speaking of drinking, let's talk about this really quick since we haven't I haven't done a cocktail podcast in a while. We both have been trying to do cocktails this year. Uh, I recently got into tiki cocktails, thanks to Lewis. And I gotta say, man, and I mentioned this to you earlier, Death & Co. has been a lot of fun. I think it's been helping me out with my craft. Mm-hmm. But holy shit, how fun is it to make these tiki drinks? Yeah, I think they're amazing. I mean, they taste amazing. It hits my my flavor palette, I think, perfectly with what I yeah. like. Um, and... It does make me realize how underappreciated rum is. And I've only oh, yeah. had a few yeah, good rums sort of in my life, but the ones that I've had are so memorable, and I think it's all on me. It's all on the way and what we drink in America, where we value bourbon so much more than rum. But rum is incredible. Rum is so much fun. Yeah. I, so my standing joke with some of my friends is uh, I, was, I was getting stuff to make a drink because it was one of those nights where I was going to make a couple cocktails from the book. And I stopped at Fry's on my lunch break, hoping that I could, like, skip a step, right? And not have to go to Total Wine. Mm-hmm. And I left there, and I texted uh, my friends, and I said, God, Fry's has such a lackluster collection of cachaça. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, like, such a pretentious thing, but, like, oh, it just makes me laugh every time I think about it. But, dude, like, I, I go to Total Wine now, and I, like, I don't bet an eye at Cap'n Mo or Kraken. Mm-hmm. And I'm there looking at these, all these other obscure ones of like, oh, okay, and, and like, much like wine and even bourbon, it, you don't got to spend a lot. Yeah, it's the same You're amount. You're probably going to spend over $20. Yeah. But it's not like you need to go to these crazy $60 bottles of rum. The Appleton Estate Signature Blend I've been using a lot recently, and okay. it is delicious. If you haven't, it, it's, it's mentioned in Smuggler's Cove, which is, uh, shout out, the book that both of us have been using. It is delicious, dude. Yeah, they have an apple. Uh, they have an apple brandy that I used to carry that I like. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Um, there you go. I would say for people who are maybe even still skeptical of us talking about how good rum is, to go get a bottle of Velvet Falernum, which is the most delicious thing you've never heard of. I mean, Absolutely. and it goes in it goes in these uh, tiki drinks that we're making, but also in you know the the Death and Co. What was it? Yeah, the IPA yeah, drink, it, which is amazing. Oh yeah. The, the it, gin, velvet, falernum, pineapple juice, and IPA. Mm-hmm. Freaking bomb-ass drink. Um, it's funny, because Death & Co. does this thing where a lot of it is about the enjoyment of the liquor itself, and really tasting that liquor. Very spirit-forward, as they say. And Smuggler's Cove and these tiki drinks seem much more about, like, this balance of fruit juice and not, like, an overpowering sweetness. Like, almost using the rum to harness these the more interesting notes of the fruit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's super interesting because it, it, it does make them a little bit more palatable. I've gone through the Death and Co. ones, and they're all very delicious and very impressive. Um, but they're definitely not like something I can like. You don't just like go ham on them and like with a straw and bang it. Yeah. Okay. So you I did. Drinks, you can sit there. I did learn something, um, and it, it, I have to be forward about it. I, I learned it from a TikTok. So 
Um, maybe it's wrong information, but but it, it's it's kind of set with me the last couple the last week or so. But when you take a swig of whiskey or you're drinking it, you really feel it after you take that sip, and you feel it on the back of your throat, um, and that that spirit hits the back of your tongue. So the reason that you use lime and lemon um, in certain drinks is because lemon hits the front of your tongue and lime hits the back of your tongue, which is why they always pair whiskey and uh, lemon together, because then you have a full body drink. So you have the front end of your tongue and the back end of your tongue. And the, the reverse happens with, I think it's rum and tequila, which hits the front of your tongue first, and then you have the lime that hits the back. And so you using yeah. those using those fruits with the right spirits can create a full bodied drink that like hits your full mouth that way. So I, I think that, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> The logic behind that, if it's true, is very fascinating. Right? The source is worrisome. It is worrisome, so I'll do some digging on it, but like, but, I mean, it we're feels a right, doesn't it? It tried you know, to come it... off as somewhat of intellectuals. <laughs> like, we're, we're essentially on the internet as well, right? Sure, yeah. So like, I mean, what the fuck do we know? Oh, totally. But it's one of those things that whether or not it's scientifically true, it feels correct, right? Like trying to think, well, why don't you ever put a lime with whiskey? And it's not because it doesn't taste good. It's because there's something about the fullness of the drinks you create with the other. Nice. Um, so with that, I think the, the last thing I wanted to say about tiki drinks is, is you made a good point about Velvet Falernum and how, how it works with these drinks. There's a drink in here called a corn and oil. And it's Velvet Falernum, uh, rum... And I think lime juice, and I think that's it. That's the only drink I've made from the book, because that's what I had on hand. <laughs> oh, you, you made the corn and oil? Yeah. Okay. It's essentially, like, like it feels like an old-fashioned when you're making it. Super simple. It's all, you, it's all alcohol. It's all alcohol. And, but when you drink it, there's so much more, I don't want to say complexity. There's a much more depth of flavor, I think, than an old-fashioned. Mm-hmm. Because you're not just getting the whiskey and the bitters. You're getting like all these layers with the sweetness and the bitterness of the of, of the alcohol. And depending on and depending on which rum, much like an old fashioned, is gonna drastically change that drink. Mm-hmm. But like everything else that I mentioned, it's so palatable. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could down an old fashioned. I, I you can take a pretty big swig of a corn and oil. Yeah, the corn and oil to me feels like an in between between a daiquiri and an old fashioned. Yeah, Something probably because it's very syrup forward, not syrup forward, but like um, juice forward versus something that is, you know, your um, minimalist old fashioned. It's, it's, which right is crazy because the there's so few, that. there's so little juice in it. Yeah. It's like a half an ounce of lime juice. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we get into the main topic, which today we're going to talk about lovely, lovely Tasty Missional Games and uh, some of our thoughts about them. What have you been playing, man? What's, uh, what? I know you had a, a crazy game month in Connecticut. Yeah, I did. I could talk about it for the whole podcast, but let's go. Uh, let's go. Two games that you played, all right? Just because you really enjoy them. Two games that I played. Um, I'm just gonna lump them all into one group, which is I played a bunch of obscure Japanese trick-taking games. Nice. Oh, you, you mentioned this. Yeah, I wish that they were more readily accessible. I mean, like. I've been having trouble finding them myself online um, since I got back. But there's a there's a little uh, YouTuber, and I think it's called Ta- Taylor's Trick Taking Corner that I'll plug, where he 
reviews and finds these games, and that's how my friends in Connecticut found them, was through his YouTube channel, and then they were buying those games, and they're very good. Um, the first I'll talk to is not a trick-taking game. <laughs> it's, a, it's a shedding game in the style of Uno, so you have a, a hand of cards, and you're trying to get down to zero cards. Um, the cards have a number on each side of them, and when you pick up your hand, you're not allowed to shuffle the cards. You have to keep them in the order that you receive them. The, oh, I like that. You're allowed to flip them over, which has the other set of numbers on the other side, if you like that set of cards better. Um, but then that's it. And on your turn, you have to play something that beats something else. If there's nothing played, nothing on the table, you can play anything you want. Um, but if there is something down, you have to beat it. So the way that that works is a single beats a single um, that is that it's lower than. So if you had a five on the table, you could play a six or a higher and beat it. If um, a run of two will beat any single, which is a two, three, a four, five, a six, seven, a, a nine, eight, whatever run of two beats any single, any pair beats any run, and then so on. A run of three beats a pair, uh, three of a kind beats a run of three, and so on. Um, if you can't beat something with whatever is in your hand, you take a card from the person before you, which is what you couldn't beat. So you take one of those cards, and then you have those two options because the cards are double-sided, and you can slot the card in anywhere into your hand, helping you make something that is good if you got, you know, kind of crap in your hand. Um, and that's called scouting. And so then that person takes a scout token, they get a point. Um, if you can beat whatever was played before you, you play your cards and you take the ones that you just beat, and that goes into your... Uh, scoring pile. So you get a point per scout, uh, scout token and a point per card that you captured. First one that goes out ends the round, uh, and then it's most points, you know, after I think everyone has had the, the chance to go first, um, each hand. And it is addictive in the same way that Una was addictive when I was six. Like, it sure, seriously, yeah. it just hits this thing that you just want to play it all day because um, there is some strategy, even though you have limited control over over what you can do there's one big wrinkle to it which is you have one um, large token that says scout on it and when you scout somebody else which means you couldn't play you have to scout them you then play that little token and it lets you play immediately after so you can scout and then play so you have there's a lot of strategy on when you want to play that card on if you're building up to go out first if someone's going to beat you to that should you play your giant run at first and then be left with a bunch of like little crappy single cards that then prevent you from ever going out because you can't you can't ever beat anyone's stuff with your little singles? Um, there's there's a lot of little strategy to it and it is super damn fun. That sounds awesome, man. So uh, before we get to another one, what what is your history of trick taking games? I, I I don't think I actually know how you feel about them in general. Yeah, I'm fine with them. I've played. A number of them with a standard deck of you know cards um sure but up. like what about like like did you like diamonds oh yeah i actually really like diamonds <laughs> i think diamonds is excellent and that's okay. a family one right so like yeah i can't wait to get my hands on scout because my family's gonna like it just like they did with diamonds and like everybody you the one could... that hats um i because i came home and I just played all these trick-taking games and had such a good time with them, I pulled hats back out. So I'm going to get it to the table pretty soon, I think. So you, you bought hats at Gen Con when we went. Because mm -hmm. remember, I remember we played hats. Yeah, I've, i got to say, man, I, it's, it's never been like my favorite. Genre? Yeah. Mm. Uh, but then there's things where I'm like, oh, that's a trick-taking game, and I don't really realize it. Yeah. 
Uh, I like. I love Trickster. Yeah, it's weird. I think for me, it takes a Trickster's okay. For me, it takes. I have to like dial into that part of my brain because it's not just playing a trick-taking game and, and winning a trick. A lot of those games are about the planning, and so at the start of the hand, you have to say, well, I'm going to win three tricks, or I'm going to win no tricks. And to me, to me, that's hard, right? And that, that takes, sure. that takes a, a lot of awareness of how these games work um, to, to be good at them. So I, I have to like dial into that part of my brain, and then when I do, I kind of don't want to leave that part of my brain. And so yeah, yeah, what I, I had a really good that. time with is that one of the nights we just played five or six of these trick-taking games just one after another. And there was this interesting wrinkle that every one of them had that made it enjoyable, made me want to keep playing them all night. But then I was just dialed into, okay, I am in the, the zone for, for how to think about these hands, for how to bet on these hands, and for how to play these pretty cool games. I mean, what's wrong with Trickster, dude? I love the powers. Yeah, I mean, it is ultimately very random. I guess that's it. Um, but I would be willing to give it another shot. I'll say that. Uh, I yeah, I, I can see that. I don't know. I, I I I. But again, like that's probably where we come down on, right? It's like I really like that one, and as someone who actually enjoys trick taking games, you're kind of like, yeah, I don't know about that one. Yeah. Right. I like it because of how it veers from maybe the like uh, what deterministic nature mm-hmm. of trick taking games. Uh, was this the Schrodinger's Cat game that you were talking talking about? Yeah, that one's that one's um, in in the group. Tell me about that one. Sure, that one has two unique things in it. Um, the first is the main hook of the game, which is that all the cards are one suit. So typically, you have a few different suits in the game, and the and the game will say things like um, hearts are always uh, are always trump, or whatever you break the suit with is trump. Things like that are pretty standard. But in this game, there are no suits. It's just numbers on the cards. And you have a couple little cards in front of you, um, and you have to declare what color you're playing when you play the card. So I put a five down. I say, I'm playing the blue five. Then there's a grid in the middle of the board, and I would put a piece on the blue five to cover it up because you couldn't have the blue five because I had the blue five. So the blue five can't be played anymore because I played it. Then it goes to you, and you have to play a blue if you have a blue card. So you'll play any number down, and then you have to say if it's a blue, whatever number you displayed. But maybe you don't have blue. So then you would say, this is a green six. And because you were supposed to play a blue, but chose to say it was a green six, you now have no blues in your hand. Or you would have had to play a blue. So then you have a, you have a card in front of you that says, these are the colors I don't have, and you put a little token on the blue one, okay, and now okay. it so says it has this. no blue. And so now we know that you can never play a blue. And so that's, that's the uh, Schrodinger's cat, right? Is you don't know what's in the box until you look in the box. Um, and that sounds fascinating. It's super cool. And then there's the grid that you're playing on to indicate what, what color and number you displayed. Um, if you bet correctly on the number of tricks that you were going to take, you then get to um, score all the adjacent tokens on that grid of yours. So you basically want to play like a cluster of them and correctly get the number of tricks you said you were going to get. Um, someone can cause an anomaly, which is if 
they can't play a, a card, um, then they cause an anomaly. Um, and then that person, I think, gets negative points and the hand ends. So okay. you're also trying to ensure that you can always play the cards, the numbers that you have in your hand. See, that sounds super cool. It's super good, man. That sounds like, like one of those... Uh, what's the company that does super crazy tiny games? Oh, it sounds like an oink game. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. I think they've published a few, a few or at least one by this designer. Did you find Schrodinger's cats? No. Mm-mm. Damn. I haven't found that's it. one like like like. Hey, tell me how much I'll Venmo you right now. Yeah, I have found um, Scout, and I found another one called Lose, which is a trick-taking game that you play Hanabi style. Yeah, I'm over Hanabi style. What's interesting about it though is if you're, it's still competitive, so you're trying to, um, you're trying to win these hands, right? And the person next to you gets your hand of cards and they look at your hand of cards and they arrange them into ascending numerical order. So you know, um, you know that your low cards are here and your high cards are over here. So when you're yeah. playing, you then can see everyone's cards and you can sort of closely deduce what you have. Some cards are discarded um, every hand, uh, but you don't know exactly what card it is. Maybe like your highest card is over here and you th- you go, okay, well, it can go up to 12 or 13 or something, but your highest card that you actually had was a seven. Um, so you don't know what your highest card is. You just know it's your highest card and you're still trying to competitively play trick-taking games, um, like a normal trick-taking type of game by looking at everyone else's hand. It's really clever and because it's you know not cooperative, I find it much more interesting. Okay. I think I think that one was a surprise to me because I was not super enthused about it as it was being explained, but then it was really fun to play. Nice. That that's always great, right? Like when you're I remember especially early on when I didn't know a whole lot, you would tell a game and be like, Okay, like cool. Yeah. Like like I had learned enough that I was allowed to be pretentious. <laughs> But not enough that, like, like the whole scope of things weren't there to me. Mm-hmm. So, like, yeah, okay, cool. Cool. Oh, worker placement? Great. <laughs> and then we play it, and it was just like, oh, my God, Key Flower is amazing. Isn't, the, isn't that just all in the strategy, though? Right? Like, a tactics game, you have to be able to grasp that as it's being explained. But a game with a lot of strategy, you don't really understand until you've played it, until you've you know, been forced to make those decisions. Uh, yeah, for sure. That's, that's, that's interesting. I don't know if I've ever heard the tactic. We, I mean, dude, how many podcasters and bloggers talk about the tactic strategy thing? Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to put it, man. I really like that. Um, okay. Before we get to mine, anything else that you've been uh, super excited about that you played? I mean, I can name some more. Um, maybe I'll tell, one more. I'll tell what you one, one more. more. One more board game. Board game. No, no, no. We're, we're sticking with the trick taking game. Some God damn this it. This is a theme. Okay. okay, there's another one that I played that's really cool. Um, it's actually not my favorite one, but I think it's the most mechanically interesting that people will like to hear about. So it's called Segment Tricks, and it has the numbers of a normal trick-taking game that look like a digital clock. So picture what a digital zero looks like and picture what a digital three looks like. You are then given little tiny sticks, and when you play a card down, you can put as many sticks on the card as you want to thereby turning it into another number. So if you have a three, you could put two sticks on each on, on one side of it and turn that into an eight. 
If you have a zero, you could put one stick in the middle and turn the zero into an eight as well. And there on, or you know, so on and, and so forth. Um, so you can use those little sticks to change the cards and numbers. And at the end of the hand, the remaining sticks that you have in your possession needs to equal the number of tricks that you took. So you could take a ton of tricks, which will give you more points, but that means you have to use fewer sticks. You could use okay. fewer sticks, but that means you can't take as many tricks. So it's a, it's a nice little push and pull with how you balance using, using those sticks. And it's an it's a really fun little puzzle. I love how enamored you are with all of these. <laughs> they're so good, man. Like they're You're all the... so excited. Oh man. Um, I just, awesome, man. I think that's a that's a unique style, and to see so many really interesting ideas. You know, for, for me at least, right? I played them all in a two hour span. I think was like super refreshing. Nice. Um. Okay, so uh, I just want to talk about a couple things. Uh, first off, we so this last week we played Magic the Gathering, Heroes of Dominaria. I remember when this came out, I spoke about it. I think it was a couple years ago, and it just missed my top ten. Playing it again, I really like this game. It's it, it's got enough magic mm-hmm. that it feels like you're playing in that universe. It's not overflowing with magic. Like, Arena of the Planeswalkers really really feels like you're playing in Magic the Gathering. This might... I don't know. It's probably not a better game, but like, but it's definitely a different game. It's definitely like a resource management, and it's over like that. Is there any any deck building? Like, like draw the No, no, no. None of that. The the only thing that that actually separates you from the other magicians, from the Planeswalkers, is the artifacts that you can get. And the artifacts are all old-school magic cards. Moxes, Black Lotuses, uh, they do overpowered things, which okay. is what I told them, um, Dolby and RC. And the first game, I just wrecked them. Hmm. And then the next game, everybody got artifacts, and so it, it actually it worked out a lot better. Mm-hmm. But uh, just really quick, it's a super fun game. Revisiting that, i excited to do my top 50 again, because I think that'll probably land in there a lot higher. Um, but in terms of what we've been playing that's new... We played uh, Trial of the Temples, I believe the last week before we left the old apartment for this new... Uh, oh, by the way, we are in new Drop the Dice headquarters right now. You can see I got a green hallway behind me. Yeah, I see that. What's up with that? Um, I just I have hue lights now, I believe, in every room. Okay. Uh, and I believe they're all color changing now. Very nice. So it's it's pretty excited. Um. We played Trial of the Temples. Trial of the Temples is a Emperor's Four game. Those of you who don't know, Emperor's Four is this um, publisher in Japan, I believe. And Deepwater Games options a lot of their games and brings them over to the U.S. Uh, Deepwater Games uh, made Welcome to. Mm-hmm. They made Sovereign Skies. They I, I like most of everything they put out. Uh, it's run by. Oh shit, uh, Nick. So he's a, he's a super cool guy. Damn it, I'll I'll figure that out. But Trial of the Temples is a series is in this kind of series of games. There's a Realm of Sand, Sorcerer in the Stone, Trial of the Temples, and there's another game that has the word temples in it. Me and you, I think, played Sorcerer in Stones, where you're kind of like, you you move you have like this grid of like four tiles or five tiles and you move them around and as you move them you line up different colors and then you can essentially like take tiles from them wow 
don't don't remember Wait, that. Wait, that might have been that might have been Z Man and Alfie. Okay, I hope so. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so Trial of the Temples. So all, all of these Empress Four games are super super interesting, and a lot of them are more or less abstract mm-hmm. with these grandiose themes where you're like. You're wizards and you're fighting over uh, uh, the yearly contest of summer. And you got to make sure that you engage the fire temple. But it's really just you have these cards and you have these areas. And you, you have to put your pawn on these different cards to get resources. And mm-hmm. what's really cool is there's like an end. There's like an end. It's called a night card. You have this circle of cards. And you put your pawn and you get everything before your card until it hits the night card and everything after your card until it hits the night card. But the moment someone else puts a pawn down, you now stop at their pawn. So now you'll get everything in front of you until you hit someone else's pawn and everything before you until you hit the night card or someone else's pawn. Mm -hmm. So you can arguably trap someone in. You can't go right in front of someone to deny them everything, but you can go one card away and like really dick someone over. Mm Mm-hmm. But the thing is, if you do that, you might also you're also dicking yourself over because now you're only getting one resource the other way. Yeah. So there's turns where I got like eight resources. Mm-hmm. There was a, one turn where I got three resources. Yeah. As the game goes on, you get to unlock. So this is what's actually really cool. I, I I love this. You get to unlock magical powers, magical powers, and they that's how like when you get four resources, your turn actually is still successful. You're able to move, and there's three temples. There's a fire, a water, and an earth. You're, and the whole thing is you have to spend resources to move on these tracks up them. And as you gain magical powers, you can do stuff like, oh, like, in the Fire Temple, if you move up one spot, you get to move up two spots. Or, you know, uh, when you spend a blue resource, you get one Earth back. Mm-hmm. And, and you combo those together to make sure that you can move the farthest up. And then, you know, you kind of add up your points. Whoever's ahead in all of these tracks gets to different points. It's very abstract, but it's a lot of fun, and the AP by the last turn is great, because everyone's... It's one of those games where you're just gunning for one more point, right? Ah, mm-hmm. uh, dude, I, I had a blast with this, and then it... I definitely got dicked over a handful of times by Chase and Lewis, but it's still a lot of fun. Nice. Really, really like this. I, I, I love, so far, everything Emperor S4 has done. I'm excited to see what else they have. Sovereign Skies was I think one of their first like in-house designs outside of Welcome To. Mm-hmm. Oh, they also do Floor Plan. Okay. Yeah. You have that one, right? Mm-hmm. How's it's that cute. one? It's oh. pretty light. That's what I thought. Um, I almost bought it just because I'm a completionist. For what? It's a like, new I line. Ha- <laughs> I have a deep water shelf. Oh, man. Like, I'm not going to buy Claim. You got to buy Claim and Claim too. I'm not going to. If Claim was a multiplayer game, I would. Claim's not that good. Yeah. Uh, so the other game I really want to talk about is is Alien Fate of the Nostromo. And this is just more of like Ravensburger and Prospero Hall, or whatever team Ravensburger has that's working on their target games. Mm-hmm. And Prospero Hall's, like, aka Funko games, they're doing great work for Target. Absolutely. Uh, Alien Fate of the Nostromo is takes place in the first Alien game, and I'll probably talk about this a little bit more with Dolby in depth. But you're essentially running around the Nostromo trying to do objectives, and as you run around, you have to flip over these tokens, and sometimes there's an alien there, and if there's an alien there, obviously it sucks. What's really cool is you can't die. 
So there's no player elimination. What happens is every time an alien comes, you essentially get scared and run away. <laughs> and so you lose morale. Okay. And if your morale hits zero, then you're done. That's, in- that's amazing. I love that. Which is great, right? Because, like, no one wants to die. Like, I died when we were playing Aliens, uh, Another Glorious Day in the Core. And I was only out for a couple turns, but I was still out of the game. Yeah. Here, you just got to, like, run back. And there's times where you can kind of use it to your advantage. Because it's not like you run away from... Well, everywhere's kind of away from the alien. It's not like it kicks you back a, a various way. So you can almost use it to shoot yourself three spaces. Oh, cool. Almost like Dolby and Quad Heroes. Yeah, yeah. So you just spent, like, I don't know, 200 hours assembling all the alien figures in your alien uh, Gale Nine Force game. Did you use those miniatures in this? Right here? You did? Uh, absolutely. Nice. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> fuck that shit, dude. I absolutely did. I should show you... I'll send you a picture of the alien mini that's in the Fate of the Nostromo, uh-huh. which is not bad, but it's it's literally like this. Like, you can't <laughs> tell. I'm like it's, it's like standing upright with its hands at its side. Uh-huh. You look at the Gale Force 9 one, and it's like knees bent in an attack pose, like with yeah. a dope-ass tail. Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Um, but that's Alien Fate of the Nostromo. Not the greatest game in the world but honestly like this is one of those games where i would be so much happier if families were playing this at the holidays instead of monopoly nice dude or you know like like it's it's that kind of easy game that's like fun and there's cool choices and it introduces you to like objective clearing also I mean, the fact that co-op, co-op games are hard they're selling that and they're selling wingspan at target i mean Target's doing good things. Dude, Target had a copy of Red Rising when I was there. That's really cool. That's really cool. I was so excited. RC was like, well, you already have that. And I was like, I know, but that's not the point. (laughs) It's it's there. One day he'll get it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Dude, they have Terraforming Mars, Ares Expedition, which for all sudden purposes is the same game, just without the dual little cardboard. (laughs) Uh, which I know it means a lot because that game fucking sucks with that shit. It's got uh, the next Phil Walker Hardy game. Oh, that's that's big news. Uh, which is uh, it's out there. It's called like uh, Boy Scouts or Camp Scouts or something. Um, and it looks cool. It's like a deck builder. It's it looks pretty fun. They got uh, what is it? it's not parks, but it's like called treks. Uh, trails, I think. Right? Trails. Yeah. Yeah. They got a copy of Wingspan, they got a copy of Fireball Island, they're going to get another copy of Fireball Island that's, like, smaller. They're going to get a copy of Downforce. They got Gargoyles, which I got it. I gotta, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to litmus test with the guys. I'm not going to get it if I'm the only one who loves Gargoyles. Because mm. I fucking love Gargoyles. I'm going to play Godzilla tomorrow. That's ex- Yeah, they have Godzilla, they have Villainous. They have Marvel Villainous, which is finally getting a, uh, an expansion. I have it. Starring... Wait, is it out already? Yeah. Oh, fuck. It's not out at my... Wait, when did it come out? It's not out at my target. Well, I got it yesterday. Okay, so it's... Okay, maybe it just come out then. So it's got... Who's it have? It has Loki and who else? Modok and... Hold on. Oh, my God. That looks so good. Madam Mask? I don't know who that is, to be honest. I want to say Madam Mask is part of Hydra. She looks like she would be. She might be Julia... No. 
I don't think she's Louis Jury- Louise Dreyfus's character in the MCU. Dude, so Modoc, real quick, have you seen his TV show with Patton Oswalt? Nope. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. Huh. Uh, it's like it's done like uh, Robot Chicken. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. All right. That's super exciting. I might go get that tomorrow and then play that with Z-Man. Because right now, it looks like we're playing Deep State, which is the second game, the, or not the second game, the, another game from the cult designer. Oh, very cool. And then that. I'm, I'm worried that, like, in a perfect world, I think I can get Onk off easily. I think you should focus on that, man. But I haven't seen, we haven't seen Z-Man for a while, and he had a fucking baby. Yeah. We haven't seen Chase in a while. She's coming to game night coming. soon, I'm sure. Yeah, the, but Chase and Z-Man are both coming, and I know I could teach it and play it in that time, but I know we're going to talk so much because we haven't seen them, and in the end, we're just friends. Yeah, so you're like, not going to do Onk, of, then? Is that what you're saying? I don't want to do Onk because I feel like we're probably not going to finish. Like, I, the amount of, like... I bet you the moment Zach gets here, we're gonna, probably going to talk for, like, an hour. Yeah. Just because, like, I haven't seen the guy. I haven't seen... And I'm, like... St- Super excited to see Chase. The guys haven't seen the new place. All right, all right. Stick to the uh, like. So I'm trying. I'm trying to like be like. I really want to play Ong, but I I think that if we play Deep State, which is only an hour hour long game, we could probably pull it off. Anyways, stoked for you to see the new place. I'm stoked for everybody to see the new place because I think this new headquarters is gonna be sick. Also, at this moment, I have no games on my floor. That is incredible, man. Yeah. I'm very excited. Now, Kickstarters for 2021 have not all come in yet. Yeah, you have till November, which is when I'm going to come in next to him, so that so that you can impress me. Cool. So by then, <laughs> hopefully I'll have... I have, like, placeholders right now for, like, a TV stand and some other stuff. Mm-hmm. Hopefully I'll have an actual TV stand and an actual coffee table. The actual game table that, that Dolby gave me is sick. It's nice. It's a serious uh, can... drop-the-dice upgrade. Yeah, dude, we can fit the actual scythe board now, not the bullshit baseboard. Okay, okay. Remember the first night at 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 uh, Mission Palms, we had to use... We played Scythe, and we found out that we had to use the fucking baseboard. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about some TMG. Take a quick break, uh, and we'll come back and we'll discuss them. Uh, I think we have some music that can queue up right now. Tasty Minstrel Games. So, there's been some talk in the board game community about kind of the uh, the, the state of this company. Tasty Minstrel Games was kind of a, a big player at one point. I feel like it was a, a good mid-sized American like importer and publisher. They were, they were doing interesting things, importing uh, some designs that I really liked, and... I don't think all their original designs really hit home with me, but like, I think that they were doing interesting things. It was they were worth watching? 
you know, here in Drop the Dice, we we kind of fawned over quite a few of their their games. Um, maybe not all of us the same game, right? Like I like right. Harbor, I don't uh, adore it like a lot of the other crew does. But um, yeah, what, like, what have like, your experiences like been? Scoville, Steamworks, totally. Uh, Steamworks, especially one of those games that Drop the Dice just like latched onto as a whole. Yeah, and I think we're the only people that love that game. No, the designer does too. He wants he wanted to do. Steamworks the expansion, okay. right? And never okay, could, so which is sad. And I wonder if that was a thing, right? Maybe maybe they were just like, hey, this didn't sell, and we can't th- you know, throw money at an expansion that that only Drop the Dice is going to buy. Right, you know, and they had At the Gates of Liang at one point. I, actually, I think I have the uh, Z-Man version of At the Gates of Liang. Yeah. But, you know, that's a great Uwe game. Yeah, but it, uh, I you can't know, imagine so, that. So, to say. See, I think that's a bad... That is a bad pickup of theirs, because I can't imagine that game sold super well, because... Z-Man already had it, and everyone who probably wanted it already had it. And this is why you will be the head of business affairs, and I won't. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes about what you decide to pick up, and an Uve game is probably as dependable as any to pick up. So, you know, I'm talking exactly. out my ass here, but I, how, how do you pick up? So some of their other ones where they were the first to bring it over, right? Like... There was a DLP that maybe did the German version or the the version that was released in Europe, and then they simultaneously did the American release. Those are good pickups, whether you know whether or not they were the original publisher or or were just doing the the American release. But something like a Yokohama, a Orleans, those games were huge for them and extremely smart and good pickups, no matter how you look at it. Right. Uh, so uh, for those of you who don't know. Um... And these, these, I'm going to go over kind of what we know and what, what speculation at this point. We know that they had trouble fulfilling Kickstarters for the past year or so. As many people did, COVID and such and such aside. Uh, their problems seem to have kind of been going for a while. Both me and you have had Kickstarters by them delayed for quite a bit. Uh, was, I, I don't remember. Was your Hentes delayed or, or did this start after that? Yeah, this started after that. That was okay. okay. Um, I know after that stuff, like uh, we know for sure, Belfort and Yokohama, uh, the, the dual game was very hard to fulfill for them and they were sitting in, in base for a while that that's fact we know that part um i was telling you guys earlier uh, me you and alfie have been talking about emperor's choice which i was super looking forward to new game from the designer of yokohama no update on that game whatsoever for almost a year and then i get an email a couple weeks ago saying hey we haven't even started to make the game and it's unexcusable and because of that i'm we're going to refund your money mm-hmm so I, I get my money back, uh, which I could care less about because I haven't had that money for two years. Yeah. Uh, again, that's fact. Uh, we know that Seth Jaffe was posting uh, in response to people's concerns, which valid concerns. If you're not fulfilling Kickstarters, people get angry. We all know this. Saying, "Hey, like the situation's a lot." Saying a lot. This is this is I, I I'm paraphrasing, but saying like, "Hey, the situation's a lot worse than you think. We're trying to fix this and this and this." But uh, ostensibly, he sounded a little grave. Um, it didn't seem like things were going great behind the scenes. And then, uh, the Dice Tower releases a story that they, in fact, have folded and gone under, and that they will be no more. Um, and that's kind of, up until now, as of recording this, I haven't double-checked again. If, if, I don't even think TMG or Michael Mendez has come out with an official statement. Uh, so, but because of that, 
we, we don't want to harp on the negativity here. Like, if they really did go under, that's sad because it's a board game publisher that we enjoyed that's that's not going to be around anymore. And I wonder if this is the first since we've actively been in the, bit like, I don't know, like a member of this community. Hmm. Or maybe it's the first that we've actually paid attention to. Yeah. Like, I feel like this is akin to, like, like if Renegade went down. Sure. We would be very aware of that. Man, I feel like as soon as we disconnect, I'm going to think of something else, some other publisher that meant something to me that is no longer. But I will say that there's a lot of restaurants that are no longer around me in my near vicinity. And those are all, you know, COVID victims and fallout from from that experience. And uh, this is, I don't know what else to attribute it to. I'm sure there, there may be other factors. Like you sort of alluded to, their problems may have started before you know, the global lockdown and, and things really got tight from a supply chain perspective, but I assume that that exacerbated whatever problems they may or may not have had. And so, you know, from the gaming perspective, it's also kind of um, surprising that this is the, this, to my knowledge, you know, the, the biggest um, fallout that we've had. I hope it doesn't portend anything else, but, you know, that is kind of amazing, right? Like a, a hobby that relies so much on the global supply chain which at times has like just screeched to a halt is still somehow working yeah and you have some companies posting these like crazy numbers like again let's go back to renegade which is newer than tmg but seem to be flourishing Mm -hmm. and again this is why you're the head of business affairs and not me they seem to have a pretty smart idea of what games to publish. Like, if you go through their list of games, there's very few in there that I, I wouldn't play. Yeah, I mean... Or at least be, be excited to play. TMG never had a clank. Yeah, TMG never had a clank. What? Uh, we're going to talk about a couple of their games in a second here. Uh, but you're, I don't think, you're not going to talk about this one. Um, but Orleans was a huge game. Yeah. Like huge i actually would would argue that it's probably still selling now if there's copies on shelves yeah i would agree it's just people that we care about like like other podcasters other bloggers that's one of those games where they reference it constantly i mean it was you you do uh, it's because it's excellent and it has so much we all do because you fucking taught it horribly (laughs) but like that's beside the point what's new i know but, like, the same way, like, I talk about Scyther, Game of Thrones, or Tragedy Looper, people talk about Orleans. Just huge, huge game. Yeah. So, I don't know. So, we're going to talk about a couple of their games that, that really uh, resonated with us. We went through... I tried to pick... I tried to pick three that I don't always talk about, but it, it's kind of hard. So, uh, Rico, why don't we start with one of yours? Sure. Um, as we were just kind of talking about Clank, it, it made me think about this game and if it maybe didn't come at a, just the wrong time. Like, I wonder how this game would do if it were to be published now. And that's not to say it wouldn't feel dated. It probably would feel dated if you publish it now. So, um, you'd have to tweak a bunch of things to make it tight and modern as we expect, but, um... The game I'm talking about is Eminent Domain, which is a deck builder by uh, Seth Jaffe. 
and it kind of has some role selection, you know, a la Puerto Rico or um, Glory to Rome kind of style. But what's cool about this sort of action selection is when you pick a role, you add that card to your hand and your deck, which then can strengthen the actions that you play. And it has been freaking years since I played this, so um, I think that's the gist you know, of how that like action selection is a bit different and how it is at its crux also a deck builder um, is when you choose the roles, those get added to your deck, which then increases the probability that you'll draw those cards, which then when you play those roles on future turns, will the actions themselves will be strengthened. Um, Do you still have this? Yeah, yeah, it's on my shelf. I could I could pull it out. Uh, but, okay, um, cool, cool. Uh, I, I'm with you. I haven't played this in years. I, I really like this game. This was back in the day, man. Yeah. I believe we played Legendary first. This is this is probably a first 10 games for us. Yeah, yeah exactly. And one of the back in those times where we've probably played this game like five, six times. Yeah. Because we only had 15 games to choose from. <laughs> exactly. And I've, played, Not, and I've played the little hand handheld card game, which is Microcosm. I mean, and you actually own Microcosm, right? Yeah, I, I backed I backed it after we did the print and play, um, and that, which on the I which I is not a drop the dice podcast. I I should I got to look through the Portmos archives because I think it's there. Okay, that would make sense. But anyways, that that game's traveled with me all over the world. Um, I have played it on numerous trains, um, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say, I guess. But <laughs> <laughs> a game about space. Um, Really like the Eminent Domain, um, you know, IP and franchise, and I, I hope that it gets picked up. So, you know, as you like, I think a lot of the games that you're going to talk about are going to be self-published, their own I, IP that they, you know, created or, or decided to um, to publish. And that's, I think, a pretty risky proposition, you know. You could pull over something established. It's going to sell some copies. You're going to be okay. When you are going with a new a new design, a new IP, there's a lot of unknowns there. Um, and this is one that I'm going to be really sad if, if it just falls by the wayside because it's got such clever ideas in it. Um, it's really elegant. Um, I, do you have any of the expansions? Uh, I don't think that I do. So I, uh, Alfie's older brother, he bought an eminent domain after playing it or after Alfie played it with us. Uh-huh. Alfie bought it for elder Alfie. And then I bought him one of the expansions for his birthday one year. And um, I remember I bought him the expansion that answered the reason why there's two types of ships. Yeah. I know the one you're talking about. Because I felt so satisfied. (laughs) (laughs) Which is nice because, like, I mean, maybe Wingspan expansion number five is going to be like, hey, hey, the colored eggs do mean something. Here we go. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine having to sort? But the then eggs? you can't play with your speckled eggs. <laughs> All right. So we're gonna let's stick with Jaffe. Um, I'm gonna talk about Crusaders. So Crusaders, uh, much much bigger box than Eminent Domain, and this is part of their Deluxified series, which, in in reading stuff about them, people thought that maybe this was one of their poor choices to do these like Deluxified versions and then not offer them in retail at all. Interesting. I don't think so, I don't but okay. 
I don't know. That, that they were like almost like too great. So the deluxified version of, sorry, Crusaders by Seth Jaffe is this uh, game that obviously takes place in the period of the Crusades. And you have this map, and it's essentially area control, and you're pulling people off your board to the map, and you can pull like knights, and you can pull buildings out. And it's one of those games where as you pull things out, you unlock different resources and powers underneath on your player board. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not really combat with other people as much as you're combating like uh, uh, like, like like savages on the board, and and the more savages that you that the, that you've defeated in the game, the harder it is to beat the rest of them. So like the first time you go into a battle. Or that anyone goes into a battle, it's pretty easy. Mm. But then the next person is going to have a little bit of a harder time, and a little bit of a harder time, and a little bit of a harder time, which is a super cool mechanic. I've always, I always love that. Uh, this has the honor of uh, me teaching this at, like, 2 a.m., um, not in a state to teach a game. Oh, no. And I think we <laughs> unpacked it, packed it back up, and then when I opened it the next day, I was like, holy shit, what happened? <laughs> Uh, but a couple a couple days later, we did finally play, and it's dude, it was it was fabulous. I played this a couple times. This one doesn't hit the table nearly as much because I really really enjoy this one. Like I I love the theme. the uh, The plastic pieces are so cool. Mm-hmm. the The fact that you're still doing area control without really fucking over other people is great. You, that kind of like you feel like you're doing combat, but I don't really have to attack you. Yeah. And it, and it has that race feeling, right? Where like, because I think it's the whoever is able to place uh, so many of their buildings first wins. It's one of those kind of kind of, kind of games. Like I said, it's been a while, um, but I really really enjoyed this one. It just had a lot of mechanisms that worked very smoothly together. And I don't know if I played many of Seth's games outside of Mdo. Yeah, that's a surprising thing for me to hear you say. I feel like I feel at like one point we talked about him a lot, right? Yeah. But, like, thinking about it, like, I never played the Isla Trains game. You know, I know he's been um, developer on a lot That's of, true. of TMG games. Hold on, I'm going to his page. Okay. Speaking of designers who we talk about who, uh, I don't know how many games of them we've played. Apparently TC Petty designed, not developed... A G.I. Joe collectible card, or G.I. Joe expandable card game. Oh my god. That's amazing. Okay, never mind. I mean, he's got some stuff pre-2010. Oh. But, like, that's not on our radar, so no offense. Um, so it's, like, Emdo and then... Isle of Trains. And then and then Crusaders? Yeah. Like, I follow his Twitter. Like, he talks about interesting games that he's designing, and then I don't see him. No, you're right, but but he was developer for a basically a ton of TMG stuff. Well, I'm pretty sure so. he was he- like whatever Eric Lang was at, Simon yeah. Seth was at TMG. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, I'm gonna go ahead and go with my second one before we get to yours, and I'm going to talk about just to get out of the way. Uh, I had to pick a game that was a DCD favorite, and it kind of came down to this in Steamworks, but I gotta go with Scoville. Nice, dude. That's awesome. I love Scoville so much. And it's going to be Scope cost a fortune so for me to get that game now. <laughs> Wait, really? I assume so, right? You look it up on Amazon while I talk? Sure, okay. Uh, Amazon, which we all love. Jeffrey Bezos. <laughs> okay, Scoville is... is. God, I even hate talking about it because we fucking talk about it so much on this podcast. 
I literally just spent 20 minutes talking about it on the top 50 of all time. Anyways, Scoville's where you're trying to like like grow different peppers and then sell them at these different markets. And it's so cool the way you have to move your your, your farmer around. And some of the stuff that, that I love so much about it is that we love this game so much that Rico and Andy were nice enough to print us out custom meeples that we used in Scoville. <laughs> Like that look like us, so mm-hmm. it was us moving around this field, pulling out peppers just to see Bus in a tank top, <laughs> Z-Man in a hat, <laughs> just walk around this field and plant like crystal colored peppers. Is <laughs> so much fun, and this game is unlike any other. The way it progresses, it's it's such a unique game. Love this game. It doesn't. There's not another game that does what Scoville does, and I love it for that. It's not the best game of all time. It's maybe the top. It's maybe the twenty second best game of all time. But really, really love this one. I love the. I don't even love the expansion, which adds uh, kind of the sideboard and a couple more that allows you to kind of um, make peppers on your own. The cool thing about that is, is it allows you to have a little bit more openness. Arguably, makes it a little bit easier without adding more challenge but uh it does make for a higher scoring game which is always i don't know it's something can be fun mm-hmm. so that's scoville so how much was scoville there um uh, not available from any new marketplaces be uh, the geek market has it for 30 bucks plus shipping that's not bad i mean i think i paid 50 for it so yeah that seems okay but i mean that's not gonna last long <laughs> but amazon doesn't even have it no. Wow. Yeah, uh, I know a little bit ago, if you looked up Madeira, it was something crazy, like $130. Mm. Uh, but that's Scoville. What, what else you got? Um, the other one I was going to talk about is Yokohama, which I think was another pretty big breakout hit of theirs. Um, I mean, arguably huge, right? Like, yeah. I feel like everyone was talking about this game when it came out. Yeah, I think that and um, Orleans have been their most you know, successful games of the last five years. Um, yeah, it's probably, probably true. Maybe Downfall, but I don't know. Oh, yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> you threw me off with that one. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Real quick, I'm going to pause the podcast. Um, it is now August 9th. And in proper DGD fashion, I have opened the very first pumpkin beer oh my god of the season <laughs> thank you elysian i am now drinking a pumpkin beer that is so funny you have to keep me up Continue, to date hey friend. can you can you talk to your uh i assume you've got your locals at total wine uh keep me up to date i want to know if if pumpkin beers are selling again because two years ago um my local total wine up in connecticut told me that they were buying fewer of them um, and putting them on like discount clearance earlier than normal because like sales of them had just plummeted. So I don't oh, know. I, if, I don't know if people just like reached maximum pumpkin spice latte and like <laughs> everyone was over it. Or I will, actually, I know I'm friends with one of the cashiers. We talk about he yeah. he loves what is it uh, a day to remember? Okay. And uh, we always talk about a day to remember, and we always talk about he's like going to school. Disrespect your surroundings. To be like a mechanical engineer or, or something. I don't know. He's a cool guy. All right. But he's just like he's like a weird total cashier. 
Yeah, um, maybe he does. I'll I'll ask because dude, uh, Arizona, for whatever reason, my favorite fall beer, a beta pumpkin pecan ale, not pumpkin ale, a beta pecan ale. The past two years, we've gotten for less than two weeks. Mm. Well, I'll let you know because I'm a little closer to New Orleans Actual than you beta. are. So <laughs> maybe maybe no, I'll have a better pipeline. The first year. So this is the problem is you showed me this beer when you lived here. <laughs> and Go it, on. We had it through like November. Yeah. I know. Like that, was like, that was like a staple for several months of the year. We were drinking that beer. Yeah. I literally texted the group like, "Hey, you know." So earlier this this year, we haven't talked about this. There was a cherry wheat shortage. Oh man! And it was we, literally we, impossible to we find feel cherry you, wheat. TMG. So I, we also got hit. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so those of you who don't know, like I typically drink massive amounts of cherry wheat on game nights, but during the fall months, I I like to drink pecan ale. And so I texted the group. I was like, hey, by the way, guys, we're getting close to the time of Pecan Ale. If you guys see it, just buy me a six-pack. I will Venmo you yeah. or buy whatever game or buy you whatever. You know, I'll pay you back somehow. Um, so hopefully that happens. Good luck, man. Yeah. I mean, did the other suit, uh, the other day, uh, Matea came to watch Jurassic Park and mm-hmm. brought a six-pack of cherry wheat. So, I mean, like, the, these, these moves are happening. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Sorry. I, I, I interrupted uh, Yokohama. Which is a, a fabulous game. Fabulous game by um, Hisashi Hiyashi, who I'm sure is going to have many, many, many more games published. Um, oh, yeah. Although in America, he, like a lot of them have been going through TMG. So um, I hope he finds another home soon, and I hope Yokohama finds another home soon. Wait, before... I, I, I guess I don't know what you want me to say about it. I mean, it's, it's great. Uh, <laughs> it's got the Istanbul mechanic, which do we... What is that, man? mechanic called is it the mancala on a board mechanic yeah like kind of mancala but not <laughs> okay um so it like istanbul has a number of building locations they're little tiles and you assemble a board out of it and then you have a pile of workers and you do a little mancala thing and you drop them over um over the board and that's about all I can remember. It's super Euro-y, so you're collecting lots of different resources. Super um, Euro-y. Super. Um, but it is also a race game, which is fun. And board placement you know, matters on like who is on which part of the board because accessing tiles that have other characters, workers on them costs more. So you're trying to plan around other people and anticipate where they might be going or when they're going to pull back so that you can you know, maximize what you're trying to do. Um, so it does have that, I don't want to call it spatial element, but you know, you're, um, it's, it's highly strategic along with tactical, more tactical than strategic, but, um, I, I, it's super fun. I am not sure ultimately which one I like more, Istanbul or this. Um, I think I go back and forth, but I mean, Yokohama is, is such a good take on it. Um, those are those games, right? Where like. Oh, Yokohama's so good. It's clearly better than Istanbul. <laughs> and then you go play Istanbul, and you're like, oh, oh, I was so wrong. Istanbul's so much better than Yokohama. Maybe if you're comparing base to base, it's no contest. But then you add in some coffee, and like, then I don't know anymore. You know? I I don't know, man. I think base Istanbul holds. Base Istanbul is have, so much lighter so I, I, that for I, I, me I, it's in a different category. Oh, really? I, I To be fair, I haven't played with Al the coffee expansion in a long time. Uh-huh. Um, 
Have you played with the the letters? Nope. You have the big box, right? Yep. This is... Everyone knows we love Shut Up and Sit Down. I love Shut Up and Sit Down. I actually very rarely agree with him. I would agree with you as well. <laughs> when I saw their review of Istanbul, and they were kind of on par with me of how much they enjoyed the game and the coffee expansion, mm-hmm. but then said they really disliked the letters, mm-hmm. I really I took that one to heart. Yeah. And I just I didn't bother to buy it. I haven't even tried to play with it. Um, when, like, in other times, like, I've been like, oh, screw you guys, this game is great. You're clearly wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I haven't even bothered playing with that. But yeah, Yokohama is, is so good. This is another one that... This didn't come at the beginning of our relationship with board games, but we played this quite a bit. Yeah. We played this with 1T. Wow, that's that is amazing. But this is a game that I would have had to schlep home from Connecticut because. Well, I had a copy. Oh, you had a copy. Okay. Yeah. Remember, so. And this was probably at that point where I. Had started to finally discover Kickstarter, because I remember Above and Below and Floating Market were my first two. No trick. Then Above and Below and Floating Market. You know, you mentioned something earlier. Um, which was maybe too deluxified. So yeah, that, like, yeah. in comparison, this game doesn't need metal coins, but, like, there are so many wooden bits in this game, and I think the game is better for it, that maybe there is something to what, you, what you're saying, and somebody who knows anything about board games is like, oh, I can't buy Yokohama unless it's the deluxified version because I'm... The difference. I think that was so the argument. Stark. Like I said, I like I feel bad because I'm butchering it, and I yeah. feel like it's it's that it's like you offer this super cool thing to Kickstarter people, but then don't even make it available to retailers. So now you've got. So me, a lot of you, my question will be then: Did Orleans vastly outsell it, and like how much of that is because Orleans was never? Well, it kind of was deluxified, but like. But Orleans, that was at the beginning, too, where literally the only thing was those wooden pieces. Yeah. Which, again, to people like me and you, is fucking huge. Yeah. But I think we might have graduated into an echelon of potential but, that but might people, be a little bit above. But people were getting replacements for it. So you could, get, you could get the little plastic caps from Amazon that you would snap around the cardboard cutouts, and then oh, they were dude, like Dude, I heard, I heard the coolest thing is people did that with quacks without buying the plastic pieces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it's a good idea. Yeah. But, like... Scythe, right? I would never play Scythe without what we have. Agreed. Like, I think there's a version that has... Is it wood or cardboard? I, they're wooden pieces, I think. Okay. Um, you know, your version of Orleans had the cardboard or you had the wood? I don't remember. Um, no, I had wood. You, you, okay, because you paid for it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's, it's, I don't, we, we, we've had a podcast about, like, whether bits will actually make the game better or worse, and, and at what point does that kind of, like, where, where does that, that graph end? Mm-hmm. Or, or plateau? And I think Yokohama's probably a pretty interesting, I, I, I need metal coins. It's interesting. So I, I wonder if... I feel like you do too, because you got mad at me for brass. 
hold on. I'm I'm on a totally different track. I'm still thinking about this deluxified thing, because <laughs> okay, cool, because, cool. Let's go. Let's go. Well, I I want to know what these lessons are, right? I want to sit down with their like their financial guy, or maybe that's just Michael, right? <laughs> it's a pretty small company, um, you know. And is there a more economical way to produce these games? Because I get it. It's it's a lot to put a game that's deluxified that has a much higher uh, cost to produce for just to sit on a shelf unbought. Um, it's more money for everyone to ship it because it's heavier. It's more money for the game store to buy it. Their margins might not be as good. Like all those things are factors into it. And so is there a way that you can get people interested in your Kickstarter, which is by giving them all the shiny bits and things and you know all that stuff, but then still sell something that like isn't significantly inferior that people are like oh no i don't want to buy anything else that they've you know the 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 wave two the wave three when they print more of it yeah yeah like i mean i have i'm looking at so uh in my newly designed board game shelf my top shelf is more or less with some exceptions um like top tier kickstarter stuff Right, like, 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 I have, I have, a, like, I have Eclipse up there. Okay. I got Batman up there. I have the League of Legends game. I have Court of the Dead. I have my like absurdly big box of Cleopatra. Mm-hmm. Court of the Dead is a really good game, but I don't know if I would ever play that without, or or if it exists without the pieces that are in it. Right. You know, like. Batman is that. For better or probably for worse. I mean, come on. Sure. Uh, Max vs. Minions, again, succeeds on the fact that it's this absurd production. Yeah. And that's not a knock on the game. Like, like that's part that, that becomes part of why that game is fun, right? Yeah. Because you're... That's that weird, like, toy factor. Mm-hmm. Then you have something like Eclipse... Um, which I have, I think, the Kickstarter version. I just bought it at retail. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. Gaming Goat gets confusing. But that game is cool because you have these very wonderful components, but they, they actively make the game better, right? Like the, uh, the economy tracker that we all have is a brilliant design. But can you imagine if they, like, skimped on that? Yeah. And just made it not like dual layer if it was just like a piece of board and you had a cube and you moved it around. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you're right, but it's, it's not, like the terraforming Mars. It's argument, not always right? feasible. Like, but like, terraforming Mars was able to succeed by not right, putting out a deluxified version. Because that fucking hit some thing, dude. That like I'll never understand. Yeah. Which is again why you got to be the the, the businessman. And I'll just sit here with ideas and content creation. I'm telling you, it puzzles me too. Yeah, but... which is fine. No one understands Terraforming Mars. Hmm. I mean, fucking Bonacore doesn't even run his own company anymore. Oh, dude, I hope he, I hope he's uh, drinking my ties. Which we're uh, gonna learn how to make pretty soon. He's actually on the Dice Tower News. He was he was he was very charming. <laughs> um, that would be great. Oh my god, I would love to like make drinks for like like all those people and just talk to them. There you go. That's got to be our goal, like, next time we go to Gen Con, is, like, just get one interview. One real interview. Not, like, a stop you and, like, talk for a couple minutes. Like, one real sit-down interview for, like, 20 minutes. Hmm. 
Um, all right. Uh, Yokohama. I, uh... Shit, where was that in your top 50? Did that make it? It did not. Yeah, it didn't make mine either. I like that one a lot, though. Did Istanbul make yours? I don't think so. Yeah. All right, last one I want to talk about is Flow of History. Flow of History I had followed for a really long time. It's kind of a smaller game by TMG. This was one... There's a lot of stuff going on here. So, uh... The very first and only time I've been to Gen Con with my best friends in the world, we were walking by and literally they had a sign that said Deluxified Edition of Flow of History, like last one. Yeah. Um, and I was like, I'll take that. Because I'd wanted it for so long. But it was one that I didn't want the basin one. I wanted with the build. So the, the, the Deluxified comes with the buildings and the cool coins. Again, I, I feel like you need metal coins too, dude. I can take it or leave it. I used to, man. I'm a changed man. I don't believe that. Believe it. I I found a pile of coins that I kickstarted so that I could use them in place of regular, you know, cardboard coins for games that didn't have them. Yeah. And I realized that like I've never played with them, and I got yeah. like five Again. sets, and they're they're varied and they would fit in any game. And I'm like, yeah. We know what this is. Uh, I do. That's Seafall. Seafall. It literally sits on the same tray, which I have shot glasses and coasters. Nice. And it's the easiest thing to just use those. There's one fives and tens. That's nice. Yeah. And it's better than, like, I used to pull out lockets from near and far, mm -hmm. but those are just, like, triangles with, like, different things on them. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so Flow of History, it's a small little, like, Civ building game, and it gives me Civ building in a small package. It's probably about an hour, maybe, maybe like, ten minutes too long for what it is, but it's a lot of fun, and it's a lot of player interaction, and there's a lot of fun combos you can do. It's all card-based, like, you get to, like, bid on these cards with different coins, and there's you're always, like, like... Inevitably, at one point, you're making deals with people across the table to be like, just please don't fucking buy that card. Please let me just get it. Mm -hmm. Like, and not, not deals as much as pleading. Like, I, I really, really enjoy this game. I love that there's different paths of victory. You can kind of, like, be building up a lot of stuff to, like, create this cool tableau and make points. And then Chazzy No No comes in and just, at the very end of the game, buys all these, like, save cards... And manages to, like, rack up points that way. Because he had been turtling the whole time. That's great. You know, like, it's... There's lots of ways you can do. Which is, again, amazing for such a small game. Does it feel Civ buildy, Or does it feel like yeah, a card Yeah, absolutely. Game? And it's one of those ones where you can, you know, like, you can only have one leader, right? So if you have, like, Caesar, like, uh -huh. he's going to let you, like, buy, buy buildings for one cheaper. But if you have Alexander the Great, maybe you get one extra military for each military thing okay. you do. And you don't really fight people as much as, like, I don't know. It, it's just, it's super, super cool. Again, it goes back to that thing where, like, there's there's attacking and there's all this stuff in it, but it never feels vengeful or, or like, like personal. Yeah. You know, I can always deal with that. If, if it's a game that has, it's either that or, or, or the whole game is take that. It's not a game where there's a little bit of take that, and if you do the take that approach, you're a fucking asshole. Yeah. Um, which is funny because like nowadays I'm trying to think of a game that even has that. 
You know, like, oh, so through the ages, like, if you take military, it's pretty strong. Yeah. But you don't have to do that. Right. Definitely one of those ones where you have to follow and see how the flow around the table is. Right, that's just normal design. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, it kind of, kind of like, the same way, like, like Agricola is way meaner than Caverna. Okay. You know, like, I don't, I haven't, even Hallertown, like, I haven't played a Nuvig game where I feel punished yeah. in a long time. Yeah. Okay, so it takes out those things. Yeah. I uh, mean, that's I, last... I think that's probably palatable in a lot of the, you know, situations. Yeah, and, like, not that I mind that other stuff. I'm not, sure. I'm not so snowflakey, but, like, it's, it's nice. It, it takes out that kind of part. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's my three. Those I, I these games I love from TMG. Um, these three I play a lot outside of Crusaders, which played a a lot in the beginning and then kind of stopped. But Scovels hit the table at least once a year since I got it. Yeah. Um, Flow of History is is kind of a a mainstay with DCD two What's your last one, man? No, that's all I had. All right. So that's, I, uh, I hope to see these designs again. I hope to see these. I hope to see um, Seth, you know, move on to, I, I hope, things. I hope to see his designs come back. I mean, yeah, um, gone but not forgotten, let's say that. I feel like, so Emperor's Choice, which I mentioned earlier, are published already in Japan. Like, I, he, I feel like he's not gonna have a hard time finding another american publisher mm-hmm. he probably just needed to be let go yeah i mean like z-man could just take it not our z-man but actual z-man right um which is funny because it isn't even zev anymore he's like at at uh what's the, the company you always make fun of Wizkids. Oh, Wizkids. <laughs> could i forget he's he's like the head of design for Wizkids. that's amazing you know like I think you're right. I think we'll see some of these again. I think I think um, we didn't even go through the myriad of lists. I think there's plenty of games on there that we're not going to see again. That's uh, that's why that's I, why I, I'm just repeating the fact that I hope that these come back because you know there's so many things in life that I grew up and everyone did whether it's a, a you know a, a song or something obscure, some freaking tumbler that you loved, <laughs> whatever it is, right? That, like, you can remember as clear as it was yesterday, and, and it's gone, and no one knows what you're talking about because, oh, yeah. you know, so, obviously these are a bit bigger than that, but if they don't get republished again, then... Uh, for fade. us, of the things that we mentioned, I feel like Emdo I can see going both ways. I can see Seth loving Emdo so much that he's going to be like, no, 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 I'm going to make sure that this hits print again because mm-hmm. I know he likes that game. Well, it's about time to get like again. I want a remastered version, tweak some of those rules, throw get it all, all into a big in box. Exactly, like make this something that, that would, would be sell like, dude, in that would be like a dope Kickstarter. Yeah, I would back the shit out of that. Um, something like Harbor from Scott Alms. Maybe not. I feel like that guy publishes so many games. Yeah, and is so successful in almost everything else that he's been publishing. And especially if he got he was able to kick ass with Heroes of Land, Air, and Sea, which I'm assuming bankrolled a decent amount of his next endeavors. Mm-hmm. He might be like, well, that was cool. Yeah, 
And it was. You know, and thank God the majority of us own it. <laughs> um, there, there's a copy in Europe waiting for us. Yeah. Uh, you know, Buzz like, saved that luggage he, space. He took it to Europe with him. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you're right. I think Yokohama, I think Yokohama sees print again. Ain't no way Orleans doesn't get printed again. Oh, totally. You know, uh, something like Village though might be done. I don't know. So uh, that was our discussion on TMG. Sad to see if this is actually true. Sad to see what a company go, but the games still live on, and that's kind of what we were going for here. Is like we still love these games. They still exist. They're mm-hmm. still out there for you to find and hopefully discover again shortly as they get reprinted. Or hey, you know what? Find friends that own games and come find them. Or you know, come to Arizona and see Drop the Dice <laughs> Headquarters 2.0. I promise you, I will always be down for a game of Scoville or any of these games I just said. Um, but right now, in this moment, if you knock on the door, I can teach you Flow of History. I could probably teach you Scoville. I would need to read Crusaders. I'm about four deep, so I'm still good for Crusaders. Yeah. You've got Harbor on lock, man. Oh, I got Harbor on lock. Harbor's one of those games where I just pull off a shelf and play it. Yeah. You know, we. I wonder, would that be interesting to anybody? Like, if we talked about, like, hey, like, what games do you have that you could just grab off the shelf and just play? Yeah, I mean, you, like, do you think there's something there, or is that boring? Let me, I, I, let me put a list together, and then I'll get back to you, right? So <laughs> let me give you an example. Because if it's just like, and then, and then you tell me if this discussion could get better than this. Okay. Okay. Uh, I can choose seasons whenever I want. I can pull that down. Tell it to anybody. I know exactly how to play Seasons. I love Seasons. I could take Scythe down from the shelf and teach you the game no, but while I'm setting it up and not miss. Is there more to that discussion than no, that's that, what, what I'm I just said? But that's my follow-up. It's the exact same thing from a different game. I don't know if that okay. is interesting. Right? Hell I yeah, think, bro. I the, <laughs> the idea is interesting. I can teach Scythe too. I can teach Unmatched right now. I'm not like, is that, that it? Is, it, is, it like that. A, is, is that it? Is that just a cold open where we're like, I can teach Unmatched right now? It's a cold out. Let's go. <laughs> All right. I can teach Unmatched right now. You're making me look back, man. I'm not doing it. I can teach Cryptid right now. <laughs> I can teach Four Gods right now. Can you really? Yeah. That's That's weird. Okay, to be fair, I read the rules earlier today. That's, yeah, yeah, okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> oh, okay, I, I can teach Colt right now. Okay, that's good. I can teach him the Devil Ear right now. Oh, so could I. I can teach Wingspan right now. You know, you know what the interesting thing is? Is more uh, Stone Mayor games than not I can teach from opening, and I feel like besides Scythe, I haven't played them inordinately more than a lot of the other games that I own, but... Most oh, of their yeah, rule sets are really light, and I can teach them. I mean, I know that's what the, I know that's Alfie, what they're like, going for, right? But outside but of Alfie, like we all love fucking Jamie. Yeah, but I'm just saying but I haven't that, played them more than I have a lot of other games, and I can still grab one of those and and just teach it. Yeah, no, I uh, I'm excited to see what he does next. I I'm excited to play Red Rising more. Because I think there's more to it than just what appears in that golden little wing that you get from getting the initiative the first time. 
It's a lot of fun, man. I I, I love Stonemaier. I'm so I'm super stoked. Uh, there's like another Wingspan expansion. At least one more coming. <laughs> nice. There's at least one more Tapestry expansion coming. I don't know. There's a, he he mentioned his last um, like, like you said like all these things. I was like, holy shit, that's coming. Like, mm-hmm. there's like an expansion for this that I never thought would ever we'd ever see again. Anyways, all right, man. That was great. I know we had a short break, but hopefully we'll be back to doing this a lot more regularly. TMG, Michael Mendes, Seth Javi, and our good friend, the Undead Viking. If it's true, we're sorry to see you go. Uh, Definitely. But we got a lot of memories with you guys, and it doesn't mean that we'll never stop playing those games. We mentioned six today that, that we love, and that's just because like we had to choose. Like We didn't talk about... We barely talked about Orleans, which is Steamworks in your top twenty, or Steamworks, which is already kind of like a obscure hidden gem. And man, oh yeah, Steamworks we didn't talk about because it was literally like talked about ad nauseum on the top fifty podcast that we just did. Yeah. All right, uh, we'll be back. I assume we're gonna talk about Onk pretty soon because we'll definitely end up playing it. Uh, we got a couple of ideas about. Um, Making sure that we stop talking about games like Scythe <laughs> and Above and Below on every podcast. Uh, but there's big stuff coming. I hope you guys are ready. It's going to be fun. And no matter what, at least two of us are going to Essen, if not three. Uh, definitely not four, though. It's only going to be three, at most. But Drop the Dice will go to Essen this year, and that's exciting. So, uh, Rico, any last words? Nah, I hope the uh, TMG crew lands on their feet. Yeah, I like that. All right. Bus, I know you're across the pond, and I think you started your new job already, but if you have time, can you please play us out? Hope you enjoyed this episode of Drop the Dice. We'll see you next week. How do you want to do this? Do you want to just like run through the list and we'll like blurb them real quick and then maybe like stop on a couple? Yeah. So I figure maybe we preface it with like we're allowed three stops each. Three we want to go in depth in something. Okay. Well, then let me write them down. The ones I want to talk about. Sure. Here, I'll try and pull it up on my phone. But like every other one will be like, oh, like. Harbor, yeah, fuck yeah, fucking great.